Welcome to Beef and Forage Roundup with host Chantal McRae. This podcast is a production of Manitoba Beef and Forage Initiatives, created to share information with farmers, producers, and agriculture enthusiasts, and to showcase the important work that is happening at MBFI. Our podcasts drop on the first and third Wednesday of each month. We will be sharing information through interviews, general manager, Mary Jane Orr, project leads for various projects, MBFI team members, speakers from our extension events, industry leaders, and industry suppliers. This podcast will dig deep into on-farm research and field testing practices related to beef cattle and forage production and efficiency and sustainability of practice in the agricultural industry in Manitoba. We will be sharing information on upcoming training and workshops, field and farm demonstration tours, education materials and events at MBFI, as well as producer profiles from around the province and information on their own trials, challenges, innovation, and results. We encourage you to browse our social media accounts and website for links to more information on projects, upcoming events, and important deadlines. Information on our social accounts and website can be found following the show and in the show notes. As always, we encourage you to email us if you have feedback, questions, or topic suggestions for the show at information at mbfi.ca. Adrian LeVay graduated with a PhD in Integrated Studies in Land and Food Systems from the University of British Columbia's Faculty of Land and Food Systems in 2018. She is a two-time Canadian Institutes of Health Research awardee and was a four-year fellow at the University of British Columbia. Her research interests have included gender and food insecurity in the Global South, government school nutrition policy, health ethics, ethics of technology and innovation, developing data-enabled innovations, data literacy, and realist methodologies. Currently, she is an instructor and researcher at Lakeland College in Alberta, Canada, creating and delivering curriculum for the new Bachelor of Agriculture Technology degree, and is the Lakeland College lead for implementation of the Pan-Canadian Smart Farm Network's research activities. Today, I have the pleasure of meeting with Dr. Adrienne LeVay, who is a research scientist and instructor in the Bachelor of Agriculture Technology program that is offered as a two-year program through Lakeland College. Welcome to the show today, Adrienne. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Before we dig into the smart agriculture and career development for new professionals, can you share a little bit about yourself, your background in agriculture, and what led you to becoming a research scientist and instructor for Lakeland College? Yes. And I will preface this by saying it's a bit of a windy road. Basically, I did my undergraduate degree in Camrose, Alberta at the Augustana faculty of the University of Alberta. And I did a biology degree. It was kind of a liberal arts education. Then I proceeded on to do a master's of science at the University of Alberta in the School of Public Health in global health. And then during my research there for that program, I focused on, you know, issues of food insecurity and gender in the global South. And that is kind of where the agricultural interests began to emerge. And then after that, I, you know, I decided I didn't want to be in the international development kind of space. And so I chose to do a PhD at UBC at the University of British Columbia in the Faculty of Land and Food Systems. And I focused really on food policy and public schools and things like that. But it, but in that time there, I did some teaching with 
courses called Land, Food, and Community. And that was when I really started getting into the food systems approach to things. And, you know, my own personal growing of food passion kind of started at the same time. And then after that, I, I got hired by a crown corporation here in Alberta. And I was working on, it was very strange. Uh, it, was, it wasn't super related, but it, it was working on developing data, data informed initiatives and how the government of Alberta could support startups and other organizations that were interested in, you know, using data for decision-making in a more efficient way. And so we got into things like machine learning and actually artificial intelligence. And, and I somehow found myself directly focused on smart agriculture, basically in that role. And I learned a ton while I was doing that. And then somebody from Lakeland College found me there. I was working on a project with some research scientists here at, at Lakeland College. And they were starting this new bachelor's degree and thought I could add value. And so they they brought me out here to Vermilion, Alberta to, to get this bachelor's degree up and running. So that's kind of how I came to be here. And it is a long and windy road. And I often think of it as like a, a kind of like Alice in Wonderland or Goldilocks and the Three Bears, where it's like, Oh, I don't want to work at a lab bench doing cellular biology. Oh, I don't want to work at the global level. That's too onerous. And then I was like, I'll just like just right here uh, back in Canada. And I found my way to this area. So yeah, that's that's how I came to be here and where I'm at now. That's super interesting. And I have a lot of interest in like the food systems and the food insecurity side of things. So mm-hmm. I know that's not what we're talking about today, but that is kind of a space that for me is really interesting. So absolutely. Yeah. What that does, that food systems perspective, when we're coming from like this producer perspective, you know, here at Lakeland College, it's been very producer focused, but bringing that food systems perspective, really, it opens up the lens of which, how you see food production and the amount of different kind of actors involved throughout the food system, you know, and producers being a really fundamental part of that, but there's also so many other actors and relationships and processes and value chains um, within. So it, it certainly widens out the context for producers if you can come at it from that perspective. So, yeah. Neat. How would you define smart agriculture and where do you see opportunities for career paths? Okay, so I was thinking about this smart agriculture uh, definition question. And I, I don't know as if there's any like widely agreed upon definition for what that means, but One good broad definition that I kind of adopt is from the work with the Pan-Canadian Smart Farm Network, which we'll talk about here. But, you know, we as a network kind of define it as a farm where there's technologies implemented and practices implemented, digital tools implemented, and other kinds of philosophies are implemented that are aiming to improve the productivity, sustainability, and profitability of food production. When I think of it, though, like sort of in pop culture, it really harkens back to like digital technologies, tools that producers can use to like engage in precision practices. All the equipment is kind of talking to one another. Everything is integrated. All your data pipelines are like, you know, flowing into one well of information that you can use to make um, decisions. So like that's, I guess, sort of at a crude way of thinking about it. But, you know, it's kind of I was reading this great article uh, as I was thinking about this term smart farm and I, I kind of came to like smartphone, you know, and, and looking up what they mean by smartphones and 
And, you know, the way they describe use of the term smartphone, or in this case, smart agriculture would be, you know, it's a term of art, like, it doesn't have a real meaning, but it's like, we use it to connote some type of advanced technology use. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's pretty broad, not well acknowledged, but I like the Pan-Canadian Smart Farm Network definition for sure. Uh, and then in terms of career paths, okay. So there was a really good uh, report released by the Royal Bank of Canada in 2019, and it's called Farmer 4.0, and it's online still, so you could you could get a link to it. There's a PDF there. And I use this to frame some of the work I do in one of my classes that I teach in the degree program, and it outlines again, at a broad level, these five really broad career categories that are going to be needed for the future of agriculture, basically of farming. And it breaks it down into these five categories. So the first is the decider. So these are like the entrepreneurs, the people who operate the businesses the you know, ranging from single family farms to like large operations. What's the risk of their jobs being automated in this, this particular decider role is, has a very low risk of being automated. Then there's the enabler. And these are these like really skilled workers that work with the supply and servicing of programming and the, the equipment and the machinery. And so that's going to be really important in terms of the technological piece as well. The specialists, they are, you know, people that are going to have quite a high level of education. So these are the, in, like in research expertise as well. So plant scientists, that kind of thing. And then the doer, are basically, I mean, we're talking about farm labor when we talk about the category of the doer, really high risk of automation for, for a number of parts of the farm labor jobs in the future, but it doesn't mean that we still don't need them. You know, it's not going to happen overnight in terms of replacing their skill sets, but it's still, it's a bit of a crisis in terms of farm labor these days. I'm sure you're well aware of, of that and, and getting people on farm to work. And then the last category they outline is the advisor. And these are also, you know, going to have a high level of education as well. You know, these are the agronomists, the financial advisors or anything like that. So in terms of the smart farm piece, many of these are going to be the types of pathways that one could go down and there'll be technology that'll be incorporated into all of these kinds of roles. And there, there will be that balance between like, well, how much is, you know, technology going to take over the actual skills and jobs of, of these particular people but it's more of an issue of like, you could do any of these, but you just need to know how to, and when it's appropriate to implement technologies, you know, on a farm. So this is what we're looking at. And I really, I like this report a lot. It, it really brings it all back in, from a really high level. It says like, this is what the future of farming is going to look like in terms of career pathways. I will make sure that I link that report yeah. into the show notes for any of our listeners who are interested in it. Mm -hmm. And I often think about like how different the farming lifestyle or any of the lifestyles really are say from our grandparents era to now and it's hard to believe that from now till we are grandparent aged that there can be that many more changes but then when you talk about things like that and what's going to become automated in the future and maybe what jobs are going to be taken over by technology it's really interesting to me to think like there's that much more room for so many more changes yet like we can't totally. even think about it totally and you know we'll talk about the education piece in terms of the context of this new egg 4.0 kind of thing. And, you know, people get scared about it, but the more that I sort of learn about 
historically technological innovations and whatnot. I mean, sure, jobs are going to be eliminated, but there's it opens up room for so much more and more opportunities. Um, we will be having an upcoming episode with Dr. Joy Agnew from Old College to dig into learning more about the Pan-Canadian Smart Farm Network, which you've already alluded to a little bit. And Lakeland College is one of the founding members. Can you share some background on how Lakeland College is working as a smart farm? Yeah, so, you know, and I, I took that broad definition of smart farm kind of from the network documents that I have and kind of how we function. Again, basically, I'll repeat it just to reiterate. So a smart farm broadly is a farm where there's the implementation of technologies, practices, digital tools, or philosophies aiming to improve the productivity, sustainability, and, you know, profitability of food production. And so when you think of the utopic ideal of a smart farm, it's that full integration of equipment, data, analytics, and then not just that descriptive analytics piece of like the full system and the operation, but also, you know, getting into in future, we'll get more and more in that prescriptive analytics piece and automation and that kind of thing. And so we are very far from that. And let's be honest, that utopic ideal is far off in the future. John Deere may put out videos about a farmer sitting at his desk, like drinking coffee and like touch screening all the operations on his farm. We're so far from that. Not going to happen in in a very long time, I, I would imagine. But in terms of being a working smart farm, I would say that we're nascent smart farms. Probably all of us who are claiming to be smart farms, we're in that sort of nascent stage. We've adopted a number of technologies and digital tools. We do our best to like as much as possible. We partner with organizations and businesses and private sector partnerships with technologies that they want to bring on campus. And so we do do that. So for example, we have a partnership with New Holland. So they power all of our student managed farms. And what that means is that every year they give us their newest equipment for crops. They give us their newest equipment and they help us implement variable rate fertilizer applications during seeding. So this year actually was our first year that we actually did real variable rate fertilizer applications during seeding. We were able to get everything set up really nicely with our variable rate seeding drill. This is no small task. You know, it takes a lot of knowledge and, and support from New Holland to do that. We also, you know, to be able to achieve that variable rate, we work with a service provider that takes a series of parameters and creates these prescription fertilizer application maps for seeding. So they use like really granular data, electrical conductivity in the soil, water and topography mapping and, and things like that. And so we work with them and then we work with New Holland each year so that we can make sure that the tech that we're using is working correctly. We're getting the data that we need to be able to actually assess whether these tools work how they're theorized to work really. Like if we do variable rate application, fertilizer applications at seeding time, the goal across the field is to get a homogenous harvest. So you want a more even harvest across your field and optimizing it too in terms of amount, right? So if we do all this and it turns out we don't get any better results in terms of the homogeneity and the optimum sort of amounts that we harvest, you know, did something go wrong somewhere, right? So we can, you know, that's, this is the kind of, this is the kind of thing that we're doing, for example, in terms of trying to implement 
digital tools and, and stuff on our farm. In the case of livestock, you know, we implement tools like herd tracks for digital data collection and, and maintaining herd information. You know, there's things I think that we will certainly be moving towards using these in a more robust way as well. The faculty that work with the student managed farm are really interested in, in like harnessing these tools in a real way. Now, I think it's been a slow progress to get us to like harness the tools and actually use them for decision-making, but that's starting to happen now, which is really exciting on the research side of things. That's where we bring in a lot of technology. Our applied research program is really focused on like, a lot of it is focused on like testing technologies out. So do you want me to give you a few examples of some of the technologies that we're working with? Yeah, that would be awesome. Okay. So like we've been working for a couple of years with a company called One Cup AI, they're beta testing out image recognition in cows. I have a, a colleague who's doing work, really novel work around using remote sensing technologies, improving bison production. So making bison production really hands off through the use of drones, for example, and other, and other tools. With the Smart Farm Network, we've been working with um, collecting really granular weather and soil data with these weather stations and testing out, you know, how much data do we need? Like how granular do we need it? If we're a 10,000 acre farm, you know, is it, is it useful to have more than one weather station and soil probe in one place on the whole farm? You know, for example, is it better to have it in the middle of the field versus uh, on the side of the field? So we're validating and testing out sort of best practices we actually just had an Australian company come this summer and install, and I think Olds College did, and I think Discovery Farm Langham as well. They installed the BioScout units. So these are like automated disease detection uh, units. So they're, they collect spores. Um, they, do, they use some type of machine learning algorithm. It detects the disease, can tell you what disease it is or what spores you have present in your field. Um, and they're, they're testing it out here now because they don't have any data from the Canadian context. And so they've got a number of these smart farm sites that are part of this network that we're able to bring them and then they can start collecting data on, you know, canola diseases, for example. And this is different from, you know, we, you know, some of our weather station work, we, we are looking at using disease prediction models. How much data do we need to collect to be able to use these disease prediction models to actually make decisions? There's tons of cool stuff going on. So in terms of the actual operational side, we are in the nascent stages. When it comes to the research side, we are deeply kind of involved with technology companies and, and testing out stuff like that. The scope of the different technologies that you just mentioned is, is huge, right? From oh, yeah. to weather to bison and cattle. And there's yeah. just so many different things that are kind of on the horizon that people are starting to use. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's quite vast. And the smart farm network, you know, we, we do work on some joint stuff together, but we all are doing like different stuff. And so, because we all have different research teams with different partnerships. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting when you talk to Joy about the kinds of stuff they're doing there too. Yeah. I'm yeah. excited to talk to her as well. Yeah. The bachelor of agriculture technology is a newer program. Can you share how it came about and its overall structure and goals for incoming students? It was the brainchild of some previous academic administrators here. And so they are the ones that 
got it all drawn up and submitted to the Alberta government to get approved from the Ministry of Higher Ed, the bachelor's degree. And so I didn't have much role in that. But what I do know is that the idea for this kind of emerged really out of industry consultations in terms of, you know, what do we need in agriculture now in in terms of skill set? And the big term that came out of this is this idea of an integrator. And so it was kind of identified that we need people who have agricultural expertise, but that also have a, a certain level of fluency around technology and speaking about it. And they would play that integrated role between producers and existing clients and the companies themselves who are developing these technologies. So that's kind of the the really high level goal was like, we want to graduate out these integrators. What's interesting about the program objectives overall. So, you know, there's a series of courses. So they do five courses in the fall and then they do five courses in the winter. And then they do eight months of industry practicum. So they have to go find their own practicums and, and go work for eight months out in industry. But the, the broader goals are not, you know, we'll talk about the courses in a bit here. There, you know, there's really specific expertise and substantive content to those about, you know, learning about livestock and learning about, uh, you know, advanced agronomy and that kind of stuff. But the broader program objectives are super and I hate the term, but soft skills. And this was identified by industry. So critical thinking, collaboration, communication skills. And the list goes on, but it's none of them are, you need to know how to use ArcGIS mapping software. So I think that that's really telling that industry isn't going, we need people to know exactly about XYZ fact or, you know, we need them to be engineers because that's not what we're asking for. We need them to have those integrator skills, which is, you know, the communication, being able to communicate difficult technologies to people who aren't as well versed in, in technology. So that's the really high level uh, objective of the program. So the other thing I will add about this program and what makes it different and differentiates from others. So it is the first agriculture technology degree established in Canada, which is super cool but it's slightly different than your typical bachelor's degree. So it is a bachelor's degree designation, but it isn't a bachelor's of science because it doesn't have all of those prerequisite, you know, intro to chem, uh, intro bio, intro physics. Like it doesn't have all of those pieces to it. This is quite different. So it's, it's just a bachelor's degree in agriculture technology and it's called an after diploma degree. So all the students coming in will have had at least one diploma from a qualifying institution. So from our own, from Lakeland College or from Olds College, from Lethbridge College or any other kind of equivalent education. And so it becomes this two-year program instead of a four-year program. And yeah, so like I said, you do a, a, a school year of coursework and then you do a school year of practicums and they've all been paid so far. It's been hundred percent employment practicums. So I'll add that as part of the structure as well, because I think that that differentiates us. I know Olds College has a new degree, uh, but that is going to be sort of a more classical bachelor's degree. We hold a different space than than that program and, and probably have a different audience as well. A nice option to have something that is two more years for students who have already taken 
their diploma and just want to go on further. And the other thing I was thinking when you were talking is that the objective makes so much sense when you think about farmers and the fact that when you're out frontline farming and you're the producer and you're in charge of essentially everything on the farm and everything that's happening on the farm, the ability maybe to keep up with that technology and know what's coming up and how to use it and be able to troubleshoot it. It's just not possible with the number of hours in the day. So really having people that can take that part and then, like you said, explain it to producers in a way that makes sense to producers and that they can go and implement that on their farm. That just, it, it makes so much sense when you think about it. Oh, totally. And, and also I'll go back to like one cup AI. Uh, there's another company that we work with, uh, Mojo. I don't know if you're familiar with them. They're, they're out of Saskatchewan, but same. So Mojo is owned. One of the co-owners is he's a producer in Saskatchewan, but the rest of his team are computer scientists, programmers, data scientists, engineers, right? So they, none of them have any agricultural background. And so it's companies like that. And One Cup AI had a quite a similar story as well. They're developing these ag tech pieces of equipment. And really they, they need and want people who are actual like agriculture and production experts to come in and be able to contribute and give feedback on the product development and the research piece and, you know, even connecting with producers. So that's a huge integrator role as well is, is between these agricultural experts, but also having that, again, that technological fluency to make those connections. So, and it's exciting. We're already seeing it happening with our students in industry. And so that's really cool to see it actually playing out as it was meant to be played. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, I bet. Can you share a little bit more on your role in the program and your background as an instructor at Lakeland College? So I came on as my official title was instructor and researcher. And so I I still do that. I I have about a 50-50 research workload and teaching workload. And then I'm also the program head for this program now, which is, you know, it's kind of an administrative thing and and people management and, and whatnot. So took on that responsibility last year was the first year. I, I'll teach a couple courses in the winter semester as well in the program, but that's that would be the extent of my, my involvement with the program. Students are just getting settled back into their school year as we're recording this. So what are you most looking forward to in this academic year? Here's what. The first year we did this program... We started it and it was like we were building the plane while we were flying it because it, it happens really fast. It takes years to get approved from the government. And then it's like now we're implementing and executing. And so, you know, we, we did have some time to prepare and get courses actually ready. We had very all of the instructors that got hired to start this program. We all had to create all of our content from scratch. There's no textbooks for any of these courses. Like everything is being curated by us. Uh, and that is no joke in terms of intellectual work that, that that takes. And then, you know, with that being at a bachelor's level, right? So what I like now, so the last year was our second year of the program. And guess what? Our courses were a little bit better than the first year. And <laughs> I saw better results from the students because I was teaching better. And I'm sure that's the same for the other instructors. And I think even more exciting is like, it's year three now, and, and we can refine even further and achieve those course learning objectives even more effectively than that first year. 
our first year just graduated this last spring, our first cohort. And I'm really, really pleased with the results. They were, they came out as like impressive professionals that one could hire. So I was really happy with that, but you know, it was, it was a bit messy to get them there, I will say, but now I feel like we're kind of, as we refine, it's just going to get more and more effective. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing even, even better results. In preparing students for careers in agriculture, how has agriculture evolved and what skills are involved in this program that will set students up for success in their agricultural career? In terms of how agriculture has evolved, I'll direct us back to that Farmer 4.0 report. And, and it really goes into like, what is the current state of agriculture and innovation and adoption of innovations and things like that? One of the ways that agriculture has evolved is in the narrative around, you know, we need to be sustainable. And now it's like, what do we do to get there? And technology is going to play an important role in that. And so with that means going to have the skill sets coming out and being ready to like take on these challenges in terms of the implementing tools that are going to help with sustainability. So from a really high level, and this is because of my my educational background, you know, I came in and I was like, I want these students to be systems thinkers. Okay. So, and, and, and it is to see that big picture. We are producers and we're really important, but why are we doing this? And what role do we have in the larger sort of global food system? We aren't living in little silos here. We're all, you know, we're all connected. And we saw that very clearly with COVID and all of the value chain disruptions So that systems thinking piece, right, is going to help with being a more sustainable producer. I mentioned sort of technological fluency. I'll take that to the next level of data and digital fluency. So we talk about this generation being like digital natives. I think it's a term that's often thrown around. You would be surprised the data and digital fluency levels that I'm seeing that are functional for a workplace not as high as you would expect. So for example, I think in our primary and secondary schools, they're using Chromebooks, which I've never used a Chromebook. And that's very different than a laptop, right? So when we come in and we ask them to work with these really large data sets, there's this like, how do we set up file structures on our computer? So this kind of like, it's really down to this basic stuff. So we're, we're really getting them like ready to do that. But that is, that's huge. And they, they learn a lot from this program. One of the things that I really love is putting them in situations that will force them that are kind of low, lower risk in terms of potentially failing at a project, but it adds elements of uncertainty. So I like to get outside stakeholders involved and it holds the students accountable to actually engage with them and do projects with them and actually act professional and then also with that uncertainty piece, when you've got external stakeholders involved in your project, you never know what could happen, right? There could be when you're supposed to go travel somewhere to go execute a project, it could be the first blizzard of the season and you can't do as you needed and you need to pivot and change your plans. And so I incorporate a lot of that into my own courses where I, I kind of push them a little bit. If they fail, it's not the biggest deal, but like there's still some skin in the game. So they have to get comfortable with uncertainty. Figuring it out just generally. So we can teach them specific things about specific technologies, but 
that's not our goal by any stretch of the imagination. Our goal is to get them really comfortable. So for example, they've seen one GIS software and they've learned on one or two GIS programs, and then they're going to go to a job and they're going to get something different put in front of them. And what we want is for them to go, yeah, this is different, but I can figure this out and feel that confidence. And we want that for all types of technologies. And then a huge part of the program too is around people skills and collaboration and, and just really learning, getting better at those pieces. They, they already do a lot of group work. A lot of the students have a lot of experience with that coming into our program, but we sort of want to take it to another level. These are the people we want to be managers, right? We want them to be at that next level of professionalism. And so we try to incorporate that into our, into our courses as well. I love that real life aspect of what you're throwing in front of them, because like you said, it's, there is uncertainty and you don't know when you make a plan for the year, say, I feel like, especially an egg, you don't know what the weather's going to be like, or what the growing season's going to hold, or what's going to happen with your combine or like that kind of thing. Yeah. And so I, I really appreciate that that part of that is in this program. Well, and it's not like excluding the importance of being able to pivot and make a decision based on the new circumstances. I mean, there's a mental health piece of that too, right? The, mm-hmm. the stress of not having the tools to deal with uncertainty is that is that's no joke. So the psychologist would call it exposure therapy. So you like expose them little by little to more and more uncertainty and responsibility. And, and eventually you start to recognize that you can handle it. I think that's the most fun part for me is to watch that growth. Oh, we support it. Of course, we support them very much. And when they need support, we come in. But <laughs> again, that's why it makes it a, a kind of a lower risk, you know, safe to safe to fail. Is this program offered strictly on campus or is there opportunities for students to study this program online as well? Yeah, at this point, it is only in person on campus. There's been very, very informal chats. I'm going to say water cooler chats with interested people who it would work for them for it to be an online program, but that's going to be way off in the future. We really want to get our our roots down for this in-person program. So yeah, in-person only for now. And what prerequisites are there for this program? Yeah. So as I mentioned uh, before, you just need to have either, you need to have some type of relevant diploma program from a credentialed post-secondary institution and, or uh, we actually do consider, I think, years of experience as well. So if there's some mature student learners that would be interested that's something we can talk about as well as, you know, many years of running an operation and they want to come do this, for example. And then, you know, you need to have a certain level to get in. It's, uh, I think it's pretty, pretty standard, the, the GPA that's required to get in. Yeah. And who would you say the program is best suited for? It's suited for people who are ready to dive in and kind of start practicing some professional skills around like time management, discipline you know, with a bigger picture for their lives, you know, coming in and it's been really cool to see where our students are going. And I think they've, a lot of them have ended up in positions that they could not have dreamed would be an option for them coming into the diploma programs, you know, in their first year. And so it's super cool to see. And so that bigger picture perspective in terms of what they might want to do with their life, people who are curious and people who are interested in technology. You don't have to know that much about technology coming in, but there has to be an interest there and minimally 
or not scared of technology is a good, a good thing to say about somebody coming into this program. And then, you know, yeah, just feel really passionate about the ag industry and, and sustainability and, and passionate about like a new way of engaging with like the general public and, and actors that are from outside of agriculture. I think that that's going to be one of the major things to moving forward is people who are, who want to be and open up the world of agriculture in terms of engagement. So I think that there's a lot of people who love egg and who are interested in technology, like you said, who this will make a lot of sense for. Can you share an overview of what the program looks like and how courses are balanced across grain crop and livestock production? Okay. So in the first year of the program, when it was conceived, it was thought that we would do two streams. So you chose this program and then you could choose either livestock or crop. And in the first semester, there are two courses. So one is advanced livestock production and the other is advanced agronomy. And so if you, depending on the stream you chose, you took the agronomy one or you took the livestock one. And that was the only one that we separated them for. So in our review after the first year and discussion among the faculty, we all agreed that we think there's value in having everybody do all the classes. And and we had a little bit of pushback from the students last year. And I think, you know, the crop students actually found the livestock class really hard and and vice versa. But ultimately the students came back and, you know, they said, we need a little bit more foundational knowledge when we start those classes, but they were like, we wouldn't put it back to separate. So they're seeing value in it. And and again, it comes back to that sort of systems thinking perspective that we really want to bring to this program and, and seeing your role in the larger system and how you connect with other actors. And so, so now it's all together. And as I said, so there's five classes in the first semester. Do you want me to list them out or? Sure. Okay. So in the first semester, how it is now, they do sustainable farm business class. They do advanced livestock production and management. They do advanced agronomy. They do a GPS course. And then they do a, the name is going to, I'm not going to say it right, but it's like an advanced farm business course. And then in the second semester, they do machine control, they do remote sensing, they do a GIS class, and they do a economics of precision agriculture course, and they do the innovation leadership course as well. And then they also have to do an elective of their choosing. So they have to just get that done in the first year and a half on their own time. And then when they go on to practicums, they mostly will choose practicums or select practicums that are like either livestock or crop related. If you're somebody who comes from a crop background or a livestock background, but we have had people who have crossed over as well. So I was looking at the courses on the Lakeland website, which will be linked into the show notes for today's episode. And I wondered if we could discuss a few of the courses in more detail. What is included in the course Innovation Leadership in Agriculture and how are the students prepared to be adaptable in the rapidly developing sector? So this is a course that I teach. So I know a lot about it. So I, and I'll know less about some of the other ones, (laughs) but in terms of this class, this was a hard one because there is really no definition of innovation leadership, if you will. And I, and I, I scoured the literature for something. And so I basically had to conceptualize this whole course, you know, and, and drawing upon on, on the literature that I found, but you know, it's kind of this 
this Venn diagram of the concept of innovation and the concept of innovation in agriculture. So we talk about barriers and facilitators of, of innovation in agriculture. We talk about measuring innovation in ag. And then we have this Venn diagram with the leadership piece. So then there's that whole sort of softer skills, if you will, again, around three essential leadership competencies. And we talk about, you know, self-awareness, other awareness, context awareness. We go into some leadership theories, um, some more popular leadership theories. We talk about change leadership, which is really important if we're talking about innovation. And so that Venn diagram and, you know, I've kind of got it as like innovation leadership and where they intersect is this idea of, you know, inventors and integrators. And so we talk a lot about like, what are these key characteristics of integrators? This communication piece, the collaboration piece, the critical thinking piece. They are the people who will be promoting innovation in agriculture and agri-food. We may have some students who will come out and be inventors, if you will. That's not the major focus. We do really focus on the integrator piece. And then I situate all of this and justify why we're learning this in the context of the current state of the agricultural sort of and the food system, which is volatile and uncertain and complex and ambiguous. And that idea that technology is going to be playing a role in addressing some of these challenges. And so this is where we need that space of innovation and leadership together. And so, yeah, that's kind of how I conceptualize the whole course and how we aim to prepare them. And then we'll talk about Farm 4.0 down below a little bit, that that's a key part of this class. That's their main project for this class. So there's a lot of soft skill development and it's really uncomfortable for a lot of students. And they go, why am I doing this? And we, we just continually try to reiterate the importance and this is what industry said they wanted, right? This is, these are the kinds of skills that industry wanted. And so we're really trying to like build up that curiosity, the lifelong learning skills, the management skills, the people skills, the project management skills. So yeah, that, that's what that course is about. <laughs> it sounds so interesting to me. Yeah, um, I love it. I, I, all the students might say otherwise, but <laughs> you're very passionate about it. Yeah, this is a cool one, but it does take a lot of, you got to, you got to get buy-in from the students coming in where they may not at first glance see the value in it. Can you share some information on the advanced livestock production and management course? Yeah, again, so this is one that my colleague teaches. So I, I'm not privy to a lot of the details. I had a good chat with one of my students uh, the other day to get some down low on it. Again, it's the crop and the livestock people will take this as well. And so the livestock students find there is some reiteration from their diplomas. It talks about, it's like livestock nutrition, reproduction, health and welfare, genetics, herd management, sustainability, diverse production system. So it brings in all, it's like, it's like a big mishmash of, you know, again, advanced livestock production. So so they find there is some reiteration of some of the stuff from their diploma programs, the croppers, you know, this is all going to be new to them. And so I think they really appreciate the level of detail. It really does a focus on the use of technologies in livestock production as well. Like Yuri really brings in as much as he can around that piece, given that it's the technology degree. 
they look at all types of species of livestock as well. And that's partly the instructor decided, that faculty member decided, he didn't want to just focus on cows, right? So he sees the value himself in, we're going to talk about chickens. I don't care if you don't have chickens. We're talking about chickens. We're going to talk about sheep, you know, that kind of thing. So again, with the technology piece, they do do projects that get them to take a critical look at available technologies in the livestock sector. He gets lots of guest speakers in and a lot of international speakers as well, doing virtual guest lectures. They do field trips. So like last year, they did a, a bit of a tour. They took all the students to Agribition in Regina. And then they did a bit of a tour back, you know, stopping at places like the University of Saskatchewan. They stopped at some feed mills, et cetera. So they'll do those kinds of activities as well, just to get out. Interesting. And I'm glad that you said that it's not just cows that are talked about because yeah. just because you have cows today doesn't mean that you might decide to integrate sheep into your operation later, exactly. or they might be working with a producer who say has chickens, like, especially if they're going to work in that integrator role. So yeah, exactly. And I think they have to do some challenges and they have to come up with a business model that would address those challenges. And sometimes that involves like incorporating forage, incorporating, you know, other species. So she was saying that he gets them to do those kinds of thought experiments as well. Interesting. Yeah. And what is included in the sustainable farm business course? Yeah. So that's another one that I teach. So I'm very familiar with it. So these students coming in, they will, most of them have no experience with research methods at all. And that is something that according to, you know, a higher ed is it's a, it's a competency that should be coming out of a bachelor's degree is having some level of understanding of research methods. And so I made this into a research class, basically. And so we underpin the whole class with the three pillars of sustainability, so social, environmental, economic. I also introduced systems thinking in this course, too, and this idea of the global food system and sustainability and all of our initiatives towards a sustainable production system you know, a lot of it is connected to international effort and initiatives and stuff. So I try to get them to see that connection as well. You know, it isn't just you on your farm. It's like the whole world is trying to get here. And so we bring in that bigger picture systems thinking. The research piece is we introduce them to the, the idea that if you don't have any data or information about what you're currently doing and where you currently are in terms of your state of sustainability, how do you know what you A, need to work on? And then how do you then measure if you're achieving some of those goals? And then how do you know where you want to get to, right? So you have to think about this whole, like we do this indicators project where they have to, to do a sustainability evaluation of the Lakeland College farm system. So the dairy, the commercial beef operation, and then the crop operation. And it involves, they have to come up with their own research questions. They have to collect the data uh, whatever that looks like. They have to do analyses. We do a little bit. I bring in some statistical, basic statistical analyses into the course. So it's all about metrics around sustainability, basically, at the end of the day. But it culminates in this final research report, basically. And so they've done this whole project. And what I love about this, in the first year, I got them to do presentations on their work. And it was so funny because none of them have experienced doing their own data collection and analysis and thinking about it and thinking deeply about it. Oh, a student said to me, he's, they were like, it's so much easier to give a presentation when like, you know, all this stuff because you did it. And I was like, <laughs> exactly. Right. So it's that sense of authority that you're building in them. 
as well as, you know, the, the concepts around sustainability, but that's been a really cool course. And I love the idea of this big research project. They do it throughout the whole semester, basically. So lots of time in class to work on it, where I'm there to help support because they've never done this before. They they don't know how to write a method section or they don't know how to write results, right? So yeah, we do a lot of tutorial style work once they've gone and collected their data. And that's what that course is at this point in time. Cool. Yeah. And there's a couple more courses that we're going to talk about a little bit. So decision-making is included in two programs, the GIS for decision-making and remote sensing for decision-making. Can you tell me a bit more about these courses and their importance for students' career development? Yeah. So the remote sensing one, again, that my colleague teaches that. And my understanding is that they really focus on getting a solid understanding of the basic components of a sensor system, right? So whether it's optical sensors or whatever. And so they, they learn about the, the sort of foundational pieces and components of those. And then they're asked to transfer that knowledge to work on designing their own types of sensors and things like that to address production challenges or bottlenecks or what, what have you, right? So they have to come up with a problem. They have to say, how would a sensor help support that? They have to design these sensors. We're not trying to produce engineers and we don't claim to be. But again, we're hoping that through courses like this, they're going to have an understanding and foundation to be able to talk to engineers. And again, that's that integrator piece, right? So even if they go back to their farm and their producers and they have an idea, they can actually work with somebody and really give feedback in, a, in an effective way to somebody who could actually create the prototype or the product. Yeah, that's that course. And then the GIS course. So I teach that one. And my big focus on that is I, is I differentiate between GIS software and I differentiate between that and GIS based applications that are already commercially available. So things like climate field view or, you know, my PLM New Holland. So things that you can see that are already like really, really nice user interfaces. You can see the high level of your fields, all that kind of stuff. You can see your maps on there. The activities we do around those, it teaches them the importance of really good data management because they see how easy it is for data to get very, very messy in these GIS platforms. And then it won't help you make decisions because you don't have good data. So that's a really big key learning for a lot of them. And then the other half of the course is really focused on learning how to use GIS software. So we use a generic one that is not agriculturally specific. So QGIS. And so we teach them that the real basic skills, and then we move them into Ag Leader SMS, which is a really nice GIS software that can take in proprietary files from all different types of equipment. And so you can actually bring in your harvest maps and, and all the things from your combines or, or other types of equipment. And you can't do that with the generic ones. So Ag Leader SMS is very specific, but we get them those real basic fundamental skills in map making. And then you know, they go into the, the agricultural specific one and they go, this is so easy. We should have done this one first. And I was like, you guys, it would not be as easy if we didn't do all the foundational stuff first in that other one. And so we really do that. And then they, they have to do a big GIS project, which involves what is the right spatial question to ask? Do we have the geospatial data that we need to be able to do this? How do we visualize our findings so that it means something to whoever's reading it? answers our question. And, and then how do we come up with good recommendations based on these kinds of results? So 
we work through that project process. And that's another really big project. I really like these big projects that kind of go on and we scaffold them. So they work through parts of it at different times, get feedback, and then they, they work on, you know, the next part of it. And so that's how that GIS class rolls out. I'm just amazed by the, the width and the scope of everything that they're learning, right? Like it's It's huge. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's a lot. And it's the ability for you guys to weave in those critical life skills and the ability to say, Hey, I have a problem and I can figure out a, what the problem is and B maybe how either I can fix it or how I can work with somebody else to get that problem solved. That part to me is just, it's amazing. And my favorite thing about it all is as somebody who has been involved in a lot of research over my career, it never works out the way you think it's going to work out. And that is building uncertainty right into that work where you have to, they have to go, but like, what's the right answer? And you go, there isn't, (laughs) there isn't one. What do your results say? (laughs) Yeah. Right. And then to critically assess what their results say and go, oh, but yeah, oh, we only did it for this one place. So like, maybe, maybe they're not that like generalizable. And you're like, yes, that's true. (laughs) So I, I love the uncertainty that that research brings into it and these projects bring into it. And I assess that way. I, I don't expect a right or wrong answer. It's it's how how good did you present your arguments, basically, based on what you found. So, And how important are electives in this program? And why are they included when they might not be directly relevant to the Ag Tech program itself? The results are in, if you want to be an innovative thinker or a creative thinker, which is such a critical skill or even a critical thinker, if you want to be a critical thinker, you have to expose yourself to different stimuli that are not related to what you're looking at right in front of you. And so, um, you know, I come from like a liberal arts background. So I did the science degree, but I have a minor in religion and philosophy, but that was just the nature of the school that I went to that allowed me to be exposed to this vast scope of disciplines. And so I think this is so valuable and I wish there were more, if I was being honest, I wish there were more other elective cores that they had to, <laughs> had to do. And so you're not even allowed to, you can't even do a science course. It can't be natural sciences. It can't be math, can't be stats. It has to be a humanities, social sciences, arts course. And so this exposure to them, if they're, if they're going to be these kinds of innovative, creative, critical thinkers, then just getting that first hint of something that they've never seen before. And then what they do is they start making connections, right? So we have one student who took a psychology course. I think it was a psychology course. And in his sustainability project that I talked about with the sustainability course, he was able to bring in as a, as a component of social sustainability, that concept of mental health. And he had done some data collection and research methods in his psychology course, and then was able to incorporate that into how do we look at the perspectives of mental health on farm, right? And he could actually do that. And I thought that was really cool. We had another student that did a, geog- a human geography course, and then they had finished it before the GIS course, and then really started to see how that human geography concept and, you know, humans moving about the landscape over the history of humanity, how that like links to when we think of things geospatially and and land use. And I think that's the most exciting thing about those electives. Uh, It it just creates a more well-rounded human being. And as somebody at a bachelor's level, it's a must. That's a competency coming out of a bachelor's degree. So that's why we have that. I wish there were more. Yeah. How critical is hands-on experience for this degree? And how are students gaining that during their time at Lakeland? 
Yeah. So very, very critical. First off, the students love hands-on stuff. Our students love hands-on stuff. And second, I see them shine in the hands-on stuff. And I don't know if it's a generational thing or if it's, uh, you know, maybe it's the demographic that's coming to Lakeland College. You know, most of our students, I would say most are coming from agricultural backgrounds. They're doers already, right? Like they, they are hands-on already. Uh, that's what they've been doing their whole life. Hands-on learning is at the core of many of the programs at Lakeland College, particularly in the agricultural school. So we have this student managed farm, which is when you're in your second year of your diploma, you are going to be on one of the student managed farms and you basically like run an operation with a group of your students. So if you're on the commercial beef student managed farm, you run the beef operation that year, basically. And so they have to learn all of those logistics. And so they get tons of work integrated learning there. And then, you know, just at a higher level, hands-on learning is experiential learning is basically how I would look at it. And this is a really well-acknowledged pedagogical approach that helps take, you know, when you learn something, you it's called declarative knowledge. So you can say the thing out loud, you repeat a fact, you can say a factoid, declarative knowledge. But this hands-on learning takes it from that to then what we call procedural knowledge, which is like, now I'm doing it. Now I'm actually like, I'm practicing this, I'm doing this. And then eventually it becomes something where it's a practice called deliberative practice. And that's where you're at that expert level. Experiential learning is just, it's the link in between getting from, I can state something that I memorized to now I'm an expert. And so that's why it's so important and a critical piece of, of all that we do at the agricultural school at Lakeland. And related to that, how are students prepared for real life experience in their time in the program? I mean, for me, like I said, real life is hard and uncertain and exposure to that challenge and getting used to uncertainty and then building those resilient skills and then confidence building this program, the amount of growth and confidence and ability to speak authoritatively about the work that they do on their practicums. It's so huge for developing these students as professionals. So confidence and exposure to uncertainty and building resilience for sure. And do you see those as key skills that when they, they're doing their classroom learning, they're doing the on-farm learning, and then they go out and do their practicum piece that they come back from their practicum and it's, they've practiced it and worked on that for eight more months and they're oh, yeah. not much different oh, yeah. as a student. Yeah. I've never worked in a program with a practicum component before. And I don't, I don't think that I was against it. I was kind of neutral about it, but the growth that I saw and because that's eight months of basically Mm hands-on learning. And so they're coming away, like I said, with that declarative knowledge where they're authorities in in what they've been working on. And that just always builds confidence when you can speak authoritatively about something. So yeah, it's, it's pretty cool to see. And we haven't talked a whole lot about the practicum, but are there like parameters around say where students can go or where students can't go for their practicums or provinces that they can maybe go to or not go to or agriculture streams, that kind of thing. The biggest thing that we, we try to ensure, because, you know, this is all new. So some practicums are really clearly technology focused. Like we have, we've had numerous students go work with one cup AI doing data annotations and helping them build more image recognition models for different species of animals. But then we have students that will go work at, you know, Nutrien and it's a little less clear 
how their practicum is connected to technology. It's not that they're not using technology, but it's less clear than the one cup AI example. So what we do is we work with our students, depending on where they can get positions, we work with them and their host to say, is there a, a technology that they can focus on while they're there on top of all the other you know roles that they'll have? But like, is there a special project they can do? Is there is there a type of technology they're going to be using every day that they can become kind of experts in? Is there something you'd like to implement? Maybe you could help them plan the implementation of a technology. So all these kinds of different ways that we work to sort of mold it because this is new. It's like, we want our students out there and the students want to be where they want to be, right? So maybe they want to be near home during their practicum so they don't have to pay rent. So it, no limits on provinces, locations. We have multiple students overseas right now, or that are going overseas for their practicums. We had one student overseas last year for the practicum, and she therefore inspired all these other students who are like, I want to go to Ireland. You know, I want to go to Australia. So that's really exciting to see too, because they're getting those experiences as well. Our general manager, Mary Jane, had the opportunity in April to attend the Farm 4.0, the future of agriculture at Lakeland College. She shared how impressed she was with the caliber of presentations made by the students at this event. Can you provide some information on the background of the event and how it's coordinated each year? Yeah, so that, that was the first year last year. That was uh, my brainchild for the innovation <laughs> leadership class. I had gone, I think it was like the spring of 2022, I went to my boss and I was like, I have an idea. <laughs> and then it played out. And so I set up the innovation leadership class like a job. So instead of a syllabus, they had an employment contract. It was a very different assessment style. It was, you were going to do the work to the level that you would hand into a boss. The big project though, is this, they have to organize farm 4.0. We started, we had job interviews. So there was a whole bunch of job roles. And so they all had to submit applications for the jobs they wanted. Group interviews for project leads. So who would who would be the student that would be leading the whole project, the whole organizing? They had like different sub units. So there was like the logistics committee. There was the exhibition and presentation committee. And so they had they all had their parts. And it was the first year, so it was very much like they paved the road last year. The class organizing it. And so what the what the main event of the day was was bringing back all of our practicum students that were graduating and they had to do panel presentations all day. And so, which is really cool because none of them knew what a panel presentation was. So, (laughs) and it was so good. Quality was quite high. They were very impressive, really demonstrating those skills and like speaking authoritatively, but with the, with the students who organized, they had to work in this kind of hierarchical structure but also a lot of autonomy because I did not micromanage. I literally like, I was there every day and I listened to all their conversations and I would work with the project lead and they'd say, we want to do this. And I'd go, if you can come up with a good justification and an execution plan, okay, like let's try it. Right. And there was a bunch of industry people there because there was um, industry booths set up as well. So they had to go out and, and get industry to come set up booths. So it was a whole day event. And I'm very pleased with how that turned out. And we call it Farm 4.0. They actually named it that, the future of agriculture, because it sort of represented the technology side of things, that future of agriculture, but also like the future in terms of the skills development with the students who are graduating out of this program. So yeah, 
they learn a lot about uncertainty. We had to figure out how to execute something like this within the context of an institution, like a, like a college, you know, we couldn't just go and do this. I mean, there was a whole bunch of marketing stuff and communication stuff and, you know, approvals from leadership teams. And so that's how life is when you're in a big organization, project management skills, they had to be really creative. They came up with everything themselves. Yeah. Accounting, logistics, event planning. Uh, So it was, it was a really good overall task for them, I think. So that sounds awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So were your first year students then organizing the event itself? And then your second year students were your panel presenters? Exactly. Yeah. Can you share some of the career opportunities that students will be qualified for at the end of the program? Yeah. So this is a, this is an interesting question my students are creating their own jobs now, right? Like, which I think is really cool. So for example, I had a student who did their practicum with Feedlot Health. She was there doing one job as like, like an assistant consultant or something for her practicum. She's created a job for herself that it's called now IFHMS. Do you know that dashboard? I think it's like integrated feedlot health management system. I'm thinking, so it's like a, it's a, a livestock database management system. So she's the IFHMS training support and herd track success manager. So she works with, with producers and making sure all of their dashboards and all of the technology is, is working well for them that didn't exist before her. So I, I really love that she made that space for herself. We have somebody who is his title, I think is precision egg specialist at one of the major equipment dealers. And so he, he works like remotely and virtually like troubleshooting with clients and stuff like that. So, and among other things, for sure, there's lots of stuff and it's like being created as we speak too, which I think is really exciting. So, you know, you ask a question here about um, who want to further their studies. So we'll just go into that. Like we've talked with at least one major university in Canada, and I presume it's going to be a very similar situation for others. We have students who are interested in doing a master's degree, which I think is really cool. None of these students would have thought, I think, that that would be the direction they would go. But they, some of our students on practicum ended up doing research assistant positions with a lot of our researchers. And, you know, now they're like considering master's degrees. And so, you know, going on to, to do research is also another avenue as well from this program. There's lots of stuff. It's exciting. Lots of opportunities coming up. Where can students go to find out more about the Bachelor of Egg Technology program? Yeah, so the website, lakelandcollege.ca, and if they go to the programs and courses, they can find the Bachelor of Agriculture Technology there. We also have an open house coming up in Vermilion on Friday, October 20th and Saturday the 21st. So you can register for that online. And it's just lakelandcollege.ca slash open house. And so they can learn about the ag programs, any of our 50 plus programs that we have. They can reach out to the college and, and contact the School of Ag if they want more information as well. Okay, that sounds good. And this will be timed well with the open house because we should maybe still oh, get cool. some people that listen that can can catch that. Oh, perfect. You are also a research scientist with Lakeland College. So how is research integrated into student learning experiences? Yeah. So with the actual like research that's going on, the applied research, we faculty that are a part of the Bachelor of Ag Tech program, we all have a research workload and a teaching workload. 
that's not true for the rest of the faculty at like my college. Typically one other person now in the dairy has that research workload and, and teaching workload now. So it's starting to be better integrated. We bring in what we work with, you know, so for example, I do a lot of work with the weather stations and soil probe data. And so uh, those are wonderful, wonderful data sets that I bring into classrooms with them to like learn more analytics and they use that data sometimes in their GIS work and activities. We have research going on with the series ear tags for the cattle, the GPS and movement trackers. And so we'll get those data sets and they'll, they'll plug them into the GIS software and, and, you know, we'll, we practice like animations with cattle movements and stuff like that. The research scientists as well will come in and, and give guest lectures around the work they're doing. Our practicum students, you know, like I said, some of them end up doing, you know, doing research assistant positions with our applied research scientists. And our applied research program is quite new, but it's happening. And we do bring a lot of this into our classrooms, into the assignments and activities we do. And my last question, kind of before we start to wrap things up, Smart Egg really becomes all about the data. Can you tell me about the collaborative project, improving data literacy among producers through continuing education models and extension? So this is a, an interesting collaboration with Emily, who I'm, I assume you're aware of the Enlightened Machine Intelligence Learning Institute or something like, I never get the acronym right, but it's out of Winnipeg, based out of Winnipeg uh, with GoDan, which is the Global Open Data for Agriculture Initiative, Community Safety Knowledge Alliance out of Guelph, Ontario, and Discovery Farm Langham is involved as well. We have all been brought together. This is funded by the Protein Industries Canada cluster as part of a larger project, but we've come together and Emily had this idea to develop a series of 10 short continuing education modules that would be online delivery. And it's all about improving data literacy among producers. So it starts from module one being what is data? And it goes very general, like what is considered data? And then the next module is data in agriculture. Where is data coming from on your farm? You know, the next module is working with your data. So that goes into the importance of collecting high quality data and consistent data. If you're ever going to see value from that data. And then it goes on as you know, module six is cybersecurity, like cyber hygiene, on-farm cyber hygiene. And so it goes into like, this is going to be a big issue. It, we already are seeing cyber attacks happening in the most unusual places. We are not going to be immune in the agricultural world. What can you do on your farm? Really nice, simple measures. What can you do? And it walks you through like things that you can actually implement that are quite implementable, like right now. And so it's going to be a series of modules like that. So right now we're, we're just going to get modules one, two, three, and six out pretty soon here, I think. And we're going to try those out and see how it goes. Uh, and then the other partners will start working on some of the, the later modules as well. So stay tuned and it will be free and available for everyone. And are there any other projects that you'd like to highlight for our listeners today? Not from my own perspective, but I was just at, we had a livestock research open house earlier this week and 
it's really cool because we have applied research scientists all over the province that I rarely get to see in person. And so, you know, they came together, there was a bunch of presentations and, you know, one of my colleagues, her, her work is they're doing these collaborations to create digital twins of pasture. And it's so interesting. And it's just like bringing in tons of different data layers to create these animated digital twins, which is really cool. And my other colleague, Yuri Montanholi, his work on it with the bison production and the hands-off kind of handling system that him in collaboration with some engineers from Nate have been designing and building the prototypes for these whole systems that bison can come into and you can collect data on them without like doing anything hands-on with them to avoid the stress. Like some of that's really exciting. And so also stay tuned for those. One other one I'll highlight though is MNP has a, a new program. We were kind of doing a little bit of experimenting with them last year. It's called Field Optimizer. Give it a Google. Um, so they have these algorithms they've developed and they work with producers directly. And even if you only collect like written paper data, they will work with you. And they have these 35 parameters that they want data from your farm on. They provide the service of digitizing whatever needs to be digitized, but running it through these algorithms and coming up with these beautiful reports on these leverage points that you can tweak to optimize your production. That's a really cool emerging service that they're offering right now. Is there anything else that you'd like to share before we wrap up today? No, I think that was good. I think there's a lot of information there. And so I appreciate your patience. There's a lot to share and I'm glad that you were able to make time to share all of that with us. If there's listeners who are interested, what is the best way for them to contact you? Email probably is the best way. So my first and last name with a period in between at lakelandcollege.ca. They can give me a Google too. They'll find me somewhere on there. (laughs) We'll also stick your email address in the show notes too. That sounds great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking all of your time today to join me for the podcast. There's so much information that I think is going to be really exciting to share with students or prospective students or producers and people who are out in different areas of egg that are looking for this information. So yeah, no, thank you so much for the opportunity. Really appreciate it, Chantel. Thank you so much. The research programs and daily operations at MBFI would not be possible without funding from the province of Manitoba, government of Canada, and the Sustainable Canadian Agricultural Partnership, as well as partnership with Manitoba Agriculture, Manitoba Beef Producers, and Ducks Unlimited Canada. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beef and Forage Roundup. For more information on the on-farm projects or upcoming extension events, please visit us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at MB Beef and Forage. For full project reports and more information about MBFI, please visit our website, mbfi.ca. If you have feedback on the show, questions about content, are interested in becoming a project supporter, or want to submit a proposal for a research project topic, please email information at mbfi.ca. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to ensure you don't miss an upcoming episode. The research programs and daily operations at MBFI would not be possible without funding from the province of Manitoba, Government of Canada, and the Canadian Agricultural Partnership, as well as partnership with Manitoba Agriculture, Manitoba Beef Producers, and Ducks Unlimited Canada.